You're listening to the Upper Hand Fantasy Podcast. Now, here's your host, Faraz Sadiqi and Zach Rizzuto. Let's start with the running back position. Okay, what are some of the metrics uh, that you look for when determining RB1s or, you know, RB2s, right? And specifically, I want to start with running backs who might not be too involved in the passing game, okay? So what percentage of a, of the rushing share, of a team's rushing share, does a running back need if he's not overly involved in the pass game? You know, yeah, someone they, like Nick Chubb comes to mind, right? Sure. Someone like Derrick Henry, Jonathan Taylor. Obviously, their talent profiles are a big piece of the puzzle here, but let's try to move that aside for a second, right? Is there a threshold that you look for when it comes to rushing share? Uh, percentage that you say, oh, okay, you know, this running back can be a borderline RB one here. You know, if even if he's not too involved in the pass game, or is it really a matter of, you know, if a running back isn't involved in the pass game and he's not really that talented, it's going to be really hard for them to be anywhere close to an RB one. Yeah, for sure. And, and so there are definitely layers to this, but like just trying to keep it like you know really straightforward. Um, we want a running back that's going to have a chance to get 65 to 70% of the rushing attempts. Now you could be a little less if you're on a run heavy team, right? So like if you play for the Tennessee Titans and we know Mike Vrabel, no matter what, he's going to stay pretty committed to the ground game, no matter the game script. But then most coaches are not like that. We saw Arthur Smith also do that last year. He stayed, he remained very committed to the ground game. Even when they weren't winning, you probably a lot of that time back to quarterback play. His thought process was probably, I know we need to pass, but nothing good is going to happen. Like if I pass the ball more, even though I've got these weapons, like my quarterback's a liability. So you've got to have the right kind of coach. And honestly, that can be hard to find and it can be hard to predict. But as a rule of thumb, you want someone that can get to that 60, 65% of the team's rushing attempts. Um, and that's where you know you can get a player like a Derrick Henry. That's where you can get a player like a Nick Chubb. Um, I will say in a standard format, like that can go down a little bit. Right. Once you get away from PPR settings like that can also adjust a little bit. But you want someone that's going to essentially get two thirds of the work. Um, and if you're in a PPR league like they they you need to feel really good like that. They're going to get that type of workload. Like that's the only way you can take someone like a Derrick Henry or Nick Chubb in a PPR format is you've got to know that they're going to be that true, not bell cow because they're not getting passing down work, but the true leader uh, on the ground for the team. And if I'm not mistaken, you know, I was looking at your rankings before the show. You have Nick Chubb as your RB3, yeah. you know, and I and, you know, is this about him assuming a little bit more in the receiving game potentially with Kareem Hunt gone? Is this more about a potential increase in rushing volume or the offense taking a step forward? Help me understand that. Yeah, it's really several things coming together for Chubb. Number one, I think the assumption, right, that I've seen a lot in the community is that, you know, Jerome Ford, even before the injury, like, so set the injury aside, it was, uh, he's just going to take over Kareem Hunt's role. I think people forget because last year Kareem Hunt took a step back, how good Kareem Hunt has been before that, right? Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb together, I think there was a point where we could argue they were like both top six runners in the league. It's very rare that you get that. So, I think a lot of folks have looked at it and they're like, well, you know, Kareem Hunt was taking the passing down work, but like, what's Nick Chubb really going to gain? I, well, Kareem Hunt was also still in carries inside the five yard line. I don't think Jerome Ford is the same threat to, to take away looks once you're down into scoring position. Also, Kareem Hunt would come into games where the Browns were winning and, and they would have a blowout lead. 
and they would just not even a blowout. They're just leading. They would turn to Kareem Hunt, right? But he was efficient enough to come in and do Nick Chubb's job, keep the chains moving, grind out the clock, win the game. I think you're going to see less of that from from Jerome Ford. And then finally, even though Nick Chubb is not a high end uh, receiving back, and we'll talk more about those metrics in a minute, like he's a subpar target earner. Nick Chubb is like, but he can catch the ball. Like if he's going to be on the field more naturally that's going to lead to more receptions. I don't expect him to suddenly be a bigger part of the passing game as far as earning targets, but I do think there's a really good chance that we see Nick Chubb remain on the field, like in long down and distance. There's going to be a chance that he takes more of the two-minute offense. Jerome Ford was not a great receiving back in college. I actually think the biggest challenge to Chubb in the receiving game might be Demetrius Felton, and that doesn't really bother me. So I think there's a chance that Nick Chubb actually is on the field for 70% of the snaps this year, and he's out there receiving he is not losing work inside the five yard line. And then when you pair all that with, he's just awesome. <laughs> like Nick Chubb, he's just <laughs> one of these guys like every year, like all the things we're looking at from a talent profile standpoint, right? The yards after contact, the explosive rush rate. Last year, 16% of his carries went for 10 plus yards. That's freaking amazing, especially considering how many carries Nick Chubb had. Like the league average is 10.5%. Like an, an RB1 over the last 10 years has averaged 12%. Nick Chubb's at a 16%. And this is not something new to him. Like he does this kind of thing every year. So a guy that can break long runs, a guy that can score in close. And your final point you brought up, what if Deshaun Watson and the reports haven't been good early out of camp. I need Deshaun to turn things around. He's my most rostered uh, quarterback in the first seven rounds of best ball right now. I'm at like 20% on this guy, (laughs) but Deshaun Watson has been an elite quarterback almost every time we've seen him in his life, except for the six games last year. And so I'm just leaning into that. Like you don't typically see a quarterback at his age suddenly just suck. Like it's really rare to see one, someone face plant when they've shown us as many good years as Deshaun Watson has had. And so that just means the overall offense is there. There's an opportunity to score more touchdowns if the offense can be more explosive. So I just think there's a lot of things stacking up for Nick Chubb. Uh, you know, he's a great player and all those things just add up to it's hard for me to not put him at RB3. Yeah. And, and, and the Deshaun Watson stuff, you know, all the negative reports that has really just come in recently, you know, off of a couple of reports, you know, very recently from what I've heard early on in training camp and OTAs and all that, he looks like a different quarterback. So hopefully that's the Deshaun Watson that we're seeing. And I'm on board with you. I do think that we're going to see a lot more of the Deshaun Watson that we saw you know, prior to to all the off off the field stuff, um, and you know, if this is truly going to turn into a quote unquote Deshaun Watson led offense, then I do think that this will be a potential. Like, even if that's the case, I do think that Nick Chubb will be on the field more. You know, we'll we'll talk a little bit more uh, about you know route participation and how that matters for these running backs, what those thresholds will look like. But it's possible that Nick Chubb does run some more routes this year. Uh, Demetric Felton, now in the past, there has been games, not this past year, but the year before, where Kareem Hunt has missed. And in those games, Nick Chubb hasn't, you know, reached the thresholds that we want to see. Uh, but, you know, the sample size is relatively small, right? Nick Chubb hasn't surpassed, you know, 65% of snaps in any of those games without Kareem Hunt. However, you know, five games. Jerome Ford would have to be, he would have to like surprise us the way Dearness Johnson did. Dearness Johnson right. like was just hyper efficient that one year. And I think he just basically played so well that the staff was like, oh, well, we can just use Dearness Johnson instead of Kareem Hunt. I think right. that was a kind of a special circumstance. Like it was really like, and I mean, I don't know if it was just a fluke or not, but like Dearness Johnson, he's not on the team anymore, but right. 
he just played like way above like what we expected for him. So like yeah. Jerome Ford would have to do something like that, not out of the range of outcomes, but given where Jerome Ford went in the draft and given his collegiate profile, it would be out of character in my opinion, like for Jerome Ford to do that. Yeah. I, I, to- I totally hear you there. Now, what percentage of the target share and route participation does a running back need for him to have RB1 potential, right? We talked about the percentage you need that a running back one needs. You, you mentioned two-thirds mm-hmm. of the overall rushing share. What about in the receiving game? What percentage of that target, target share and route participation are we looking for? Yeah, so I break it really down into two things that then lead you to target share, and it's route participation, which you just talked about, and then there's your targets per route run. Um, I really like using this combination for running backs because we get different players that are on the field for different scenarios with coaches, right? Oh, you're my two-minute offense. You're going to be my long down and distance back. Oh, we're trailing. That's pretty much we're going to go to our speeded up offense, the two-minute offense. Defense is going to go into shell coverage. We're going to have to check it down a lot. That's how Austin Eckler goes from having eight fantasy points for you to suddenly you look up at the end of the game, and it's only like four minutes later in the game, and now he has 23. It's a drive in one of these scenarios where he suddenly picks up four catches on one drive with 40 yards and he scores a touchdown, right? That's how you get these big boosts at the end of a game or at the end of a half. And so typically what we want to see is like for an elite passing down option, you're going to be 65 to 70% route participation. We're talking about your Christian McCaffrey's, your Alvin Kamara's. Uh, Kamara missed that by a little bit last year. Um, we're talking about uh, DeAndre Swift at points in his career. Um, so these are guys that teams really know they want to have on the field pretty much in most passing downs. But then you also have the talent you need to have to now turn that into something. And so targets per route run, the elite number is like once you get to 25, 26, 27%. Now, again, we're back in that CMC, Kamara, Eckler. These are the guys that earn targets in that range. And what I love about like this kind of exercise is it really helps you instead of just forecasting pure targets, you can really do more of a range of outcome scenario, right? You can say, well, what if DeAndre Swift does get 65% of the passing down work, right? That could be scenario one, but he only gets 30% of the rushing attempts. We think Rashad Penny's going to do this. We think Kenneth Gainwell is going to do that. And then, you know, wow, he was an elite target earner last year, 26% targets per route run. Well, now that can be like one range of outcomes, like in many, for DeAndre Swift, but you're allowing him to play to his strengths. You're like, you know, that's reasonable. DeAndre Swift has been such a good receiver over the over his early part of his career, even though the Lions may have had hangups with him, like as far as his between-the-tackle running style, he's a guy they've liked to have on the field and passing downs. And so it allows you, by using those combinations, for me anyway, like it allows me to really create a range of outcomes for a player that's not just a math equation, right? Where you say, hey, here's the median. And then we know like, here are the two, you know, here's basically in a bell curve where we're just going to cut off the tails. No, now it allows me to say, okay, here's the median based on like the way this team is built, everything I see. So I'm going to give in this example, DeAndre Swift, 35% of the rushing attempts, but I'm going to give him 50% of the route participation because he's been really good. So like, that's the median. But then you got to build your ceiling case, which is DeAndre Swift was also good from an efficiency standpoint, like as a runner, what if we look up and he actually gets 60, you know, you can't say 60 for the Eagles because we know 25% of the design running attempts are going to Jalen Hurts. So let's say he gets 50% of the rushing attempts, 65% of the dropbacks. Now that's his ceiling range for me based on the Eagles. And now I have a really good range of outcomes and I can go to the floor and I can say, 
well, what if Kenneth Gainwell, he was pretty good as a receiver. What if, what if Swift doesn't take over the passing downs? He only gets 30% route participation and he only gets 25% of the carries. Now I have a realistic floor based on Kenneth Gainwell wins part of the passing downs and it's a three-way split in the rushing department, a four-way. It's a four-way split because we got to include <laughs> Jalen Hurts, right? right? But that's why I love breaking it down that way because now it's not just, well, here's my median, and then you know, based on just mathematical percentages, here's what the ceiling look like looks like on the floor. Now I can actually say, no, based on football, based on what these guys are good at, and if I create these different combinations, I can actually tell you a floor for DeAndre Swift, and I can give you a ceiling. And the ceiling we really care about because then that helps us, we and the floor, obviously, but it helps us weigh risk-reward versus where the player's going in the draft. So like right now, DeAndre Swift falling into round eight on all this Gainwell news, even though newsflash last night, Gainwell had to play with the backups and DeAndre Swift got to rest. Right. Like the upside for him because of his archetype, he's so good in the passing game. He's like one of the only people you can draft after round seven that has a true ceiling of like 18 fantasy points per game based on mapping out like what all the roles could be for his team. Like it's really hard to get, that's an RB1, right? right. So while there's a floor with Swift and I get it, like people should not be ignoring him and round eight, he's still a really great pick because that ceiling is there. And Oh, by the way, then we can look at the median and say, okay, I'm going to score one point less per game, maybe than some of the wide receivers I like in that range. But if they don't have the same ceiling, well, now you know what your trade-off is. You're like, I'm going to trade off this median outcome of one point per game for this ceiling. And so that's a big driver behind why I do all of these things. Um, is, is to really try to get a better handle on range of outcomes and have it tie back to actual football versus, and I love math. Like I love math too, but I'm not a mathematician. You know, I love football and I try to apply math and these other things to football to help people win fantasy. It, it makes a lot of sense, man. And you mentioned the 27% targets per route run for Swift last year. And that's according to fantasy life data profiles. You can check that out. Yep. They have that listed. They literally have, you can sort it. <laughs> by running back, by wide receiver, uh, and all that on fantasylife.com. But when you look at DeAndre Swift, the games like, they miss there, right? So, like, right. well, tw targets per route run is easy because it cuts across all that. But like in the target right. shares and things like that, like we try to exclude. We don't. We don't want to count against you know them things that you know they can't account for, right? With an injury. Exactly. Exactly. Which is super helpful because that's what we do. We go to Pro Football Reference. We we we, we yeah. Then we have to look for it. All. Yes, it's a cheat <laughs> code basically for, hey. to make things a little hey. faster. Exactly. Exactly. And this is a team that didn't even love him a whole lot, a whole lot, right? And he was still targeted at twenty seven percent. That was top five among running backs. You know, yards per route run always near the top of the league, right? We know he's a very good receiver, as you mentioned. Now he goes to a Philly team with a quarterback who likes to run the ball. And also a team that isn't necessarily a pass-first team, right? So now they can be at times, depending on the game script, if it calls for it. But you do look at the situation and say, are they going to script Swift into the receiving game? Um, you know, do we don't do we have to worry about the scrambling quarterback? You know, I look at the Cam Newton, Christian McCaffrey days. You know, there was no issue with McCaffrey getting the ball. Uh, but Jalen Hurts also has two ballers at wide receiver and a very good tight end too. Now. What do you say to, to those who say, like, you know what? There might not be a whole lot for Swift. Yes, we know what his ceiling can be. Uh, what is the likelihood that he gets there with, on a team that has ballers at the receiver position, at the tight end position, and also a quarterback who might not dump it down a whole lot? Will, will, sh do you think that it is more reasonable to say that they would just script someone like Swift into the receiving game? 
Well, I think there's a couple things. Number one, like to get a 27% targets per route run, like you have to be really good. Uh, so it's similar to receivers. We don't just see many running backs demand those targets. You can scheme running backs more targets because they're behind the line of scrimmage. They're under the zone coverage. And you might see things like that for a team that only has one wide receiver. It's like, oh, my first read's covered. I'm going to check it down to my running back. But Swift is really a different archetype. Like he's a guy that can go out and earn targets on his own. He's shown it multiple years in a row. Um, the other thing I try to look for is if they're a plus average depth of target player, right? And Swift was last year. Those guys are typically more sticky year over year because they can be part of a read progression. If they're beyond the quarterback and they can see them and now they're part of a route combination, for example, the tight end could be running a seam and then the running backs coming back underneath running an angle route um, against the linebacker. That's a high low read, you know, for the quarterback. They're reading the safety and the linebacker and they're basically, you know, letting the defense the defense dictate which matchup they get throwing the ball because if 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 your route's always behind the line of scrimmage and you're Jalen Hurts and you look over and you see DeAndre Swift and you're like well I could check it down to DeAndre Swift he's pretty good but I could also just take off for like 25 yards right now <laughs> and so the quarterback doesn't have to take an extra risk by throwing the ball that could become an incompletion or worst case gets you know bad in the air turns into an interception so the processing is I'll just take off but the good news with Swift is he has actually shown, right, that he can be more incorporated into the pass game. I did bring him down, though, in my projections. The beauty is, like, when you're at a 27% targets per route run, like, I can bring you all the way down to, like, a 21 22%, which is really still good because that helps me account for what you smartly said, the other factors in the offense, which is A.J. Brown is really good, and Devonta Smith might be one of the more underrated wide receivers in the league. Now, fantasy managers know about Devonta Smith. He's a second-round pick. But I don't know that the real NFL uh, fan base realizes yet like how good Devonta Smith really is. And you mentioned Dallas Goddard. So, again, it allows you to be reasonable about it. Let's just take this guy to 22%. I don't think it suddenly means he's 15%. Um, Sam Hoppen put out an awesome, awesome graphic on this on Twitter. Uh, I think he did an article on it as well over at Fantasy Points. Um, you know, sorry, uh, fantasy pros. And it was about like which scrambling target uh, quarterbacks actually impacted target rate to their running backs the most or target shares. And Jalen Hurts was only a minus 1%. He was only a negative 1% when it came to his willingness to target running backs. There were other guys that were more. So that was like fascinating to me. And I can't wait yeah. to see him like do that uh, research as he has more and more data available. But uh I think there's plenty of room for Swift here just because yeah, I love that. And especially at, at his price, right? It's really, really, really hard to pass up on that upside. I was kind of cool taking him in the six, man, honestly. And I know now, now we get him falling, in the eight <laughs> <laughs> and now that he's fallen in, but you know, now, now after last night, Kenneth Gainwell is not the starter anymore, unfortunately. Right? Like, so Kenneth, Kenneth Gainwell, he was the Eagles starter proclaimed Eagles starter before yesterday. So, and now he's not. So, <laughs> so we'll see how that ends up working out now. One thing that jumps out to me is someone like James Cook, right? Oh, Devin Singletary, he ran the seventh most routes last year among running backs, and he was targeted on only 13% of those routes. And that was not good, okay? And James <laughs> Cook had a 26% target per route run rate, okay? So when I look at Cook's routes increasing here, right, I can't help but target Cook everywhere, you know, regardless of the hype that he's been getting recently, right? This might be more of a 
you know, quarterback not targeting the running back because he's just not as good, right? Like what you were just mentioning, compared to a quarterback now targeting a running back because they're very good in the receiving game. Is This seems like a similar situation to me. Yeah, man. I love James Cook this year. Um, and I think even if you only project him to get like 30% of the rushing attempts, taking over this passing down role, and, and by the way, like Naheem Hines being out, it does matter a little. Because he could have been the fallback plan, right? If James Cook was struggling in the passing game, Hines is a guy that we've seen be a high-end receiver out of the backfield. Even though Cook was projected to be the guy in that lead role, Naheem Hines was really good at what he did, and now there's no chance of him like pushing Cook for that role. So that's a little thing that I like. But you hit on the main part: that 27% targets per route run. Look, I was a James Cook truther last year. And I hate to say truth or I just let the data lead me where the data leads me, <laughs> you know, and it led me to James Cook. Like I arrived at his front door. Uh, I knocked on it. I begged him to let me in like uh, and he didn't like I got the cold shoulder. <laughs> he did not get a lot of playing time last year. Right. right? And so that surprised me. Um, and, and so if there's a negative with him, it's the fact that Devin Singletary is not a good receiving back. Right. He is not a good receiving back. That's really he's not been good at it his entire time in in the NFL especially with a scrambler like Watson. He's not a guy that's going to demand these targets down the field. Um, so that's a mark against him for James Cook, that he couldn't beat out Singletary because I think the Bills probably wanted him to, and then he didn't. So that's something we always have to pay attention to. Right. But what I have to say that's positive for James Cook is whenever he was on the field, what you just mentioned. When he was out there, he had that twenty-seven or 26% targets per route run. 1.43 yards per route run, 26% targets per route run from the scrambling quarterback and Josh Allen. And what did he have? He had the plus average depth of target, 2.3, meaning he can be part of that primary read progression. It's also more of a risk reward for Josh Allen when he sees it. I can throw it seven yards down the field to James Cook, who's already open, or I have to take off from here. Right? That's a different proposition than I'm swinging it to James Cook, who's sitting in the flat, and I could just take off. So right. those are all the things that come into play. So I do think that James Cook can overcome the fact that Josh Allen is a scrambling quarterback, and I want to be part of the Bills' offense. I want as many pieces of it as I can get. I think Gabe Davis is too late this year. I think James Cook is going too late this year. I, I was off Gabe Davis last year, but I want it. Yeah. I want Dalton Kincaid, but James Cook is the one. Like He's the primary guy. I think we could look up for us and be like, wow, like, how high is too high in week four for us to rank James Cook? Like we could be having to have that conversation. Um, if he suddenly is getting 50% of the rushing attempts and playing all the passing downs, he's it's going to be really hard for him to not be a top 12 running back in fantasy, yeah. in PPR. In he's RB1. Yes. He's, he's RB1. Be, <laughs> you know, and even up. at 30%, man, even if Damian Harris gets healthy, Damian Harris is a good player. Like and he, let's say he takes fifty percent of the rushing attempts, and Cook only gets thirty percent. I still think James Cook's going to pay off your ADP this year just right. because he's going to take over passing downs. I had uh, Bills beat reporter Sal Capaccio on the show last week, well, two weeks ago, and thirty percent is too low, man. It, it, it he he seems to be beating that drum. Say like James Cook is just the guy. He's the yeah. guy. Those, those I think are that's his the words. floor, though. The beauty you know? is the floor. It is right. floor. He will floor. be worth your pick. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, I think he's. Uh, and, I, and I've been saying this for a few weeks now. And and I I totally agree with you on the Naheem Hines thing, man. Like, I really got like I was in on James Cook at, at ADP, but once this Naheem Hines news hit, 
because I was a little bit worried. You know, if you, if you look at Naheem Hines over the last several seasons, since he became, since he came into the league, he was like up top five, top seven, top eight in yards per route run every single year. And there's a reason why Jonathan Taylor was coming off the field for him, right? And that brings me to Jonathan Taylor here, right? Hey, now, before we go, his... we got to have one last okay, piece of fun with James Cook. So I've got let's my projection it, model up, right? Yeah. I have him at only 38% of the rushing attempts right now. I bumped him up slightly with the okay. Damian Harris stuff that's been going on. Uh, and I've only got him at 50% route participation. This is where I have him for his median outcome. That's 11.9 points per game and a half PPR is what that ends up coming out to, right? Like I'm doing all the stuff at the top level for the team, like the volume projections for the bills, all that stuff, Josh Allen. Then I do running back wide receiver tight end. So let's say James Cook just gets to 50% of the rushing attempts, right? So I'm going to put that in. And then what do we want to do? Let's, let's give him the elite. Participation what? at sixty-five percent, and then I've got to make one more like quick adjustment, like on his uh, touchdown percentage. All right, that's that's really close. All right, now half PPR. Like if I just at fifty percent, like we didn't make him like the lead back sixty sixty-five percent. We just you know get half of it, and let's get him to that sixty-five percent range. Um, that knocks him all the way up in a PPR to 17.9 fantasy points oh my per game. <laughs> and there's room here, dude. I have his targets per route run at 21%. We just told oh, you wow. last year it was 26. So even if yeah. let's take that like to 24, right? That's re realistic. We're not even going to take it to the ceiling there. You take that to 24. I'm now at 19 PPR points per game. Yeah, that's a top five. I think we could argue there's still room for more from that ceiling. So yeah. Well, you know, these top running backs who are, you know, the, the Swifts of the world and and the and the Camaras of the world and the and the Ecklers, like Eckler was like at what, like 30% targets per route run last year or something close to it, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, this was he, he yeah, was, no, this he was yeah, James Cook was very near uh, you know, the league leaders. Like so he was right like in that right. ballpark. But yeah, you had Eckler at twenty eight percent last year, McCaffrey twenty five percent. Yeah, Brees Hall, smaller sample, 28%. Ramondre, 26%. So, yeah, he's right there. We already talked about Swift, 27%. So he's right there yeah. with those leaders. Yeah, there you go. There you go. This, it, I can't wait. It's, he's going to be a fun <laughs> player. He's already a fun player to watch. He, he led his class in you know, yards per touch coming in and trying to tie with Rashad White. He was one of the best pass catchers to come out in that draft class. So I'm, I'm just – And that's the other part, dude. Excited. I'm glad you brought that up. Like what we saw in the limited sample – matched what we saw in yes. college his strengths exactly. right as a receiver and that that is important when you get a player that did something in college and then they show it to you in the nfl it makes it a little easier to digest that small sample size and say you know it probably is not a fluke because he was doing it in college too had he not done that in college and then we get the small sample we had last year he was only on the field for 21 percent of josh allen's passing plays we might be like you know it's nice but it could be a mirage yeah. It's probably not because of what you just mentioned. That's that's how he won in college, and now we're seeing it extrapolate to the NFL. That's a great point. Yeah, that's a great point. Now, I, I mentioned I, I was bringing up Jonathan Taylor here, right? And he used to he was playing. He was coming off the yeah. field for Naheem Hines. Naheem Hines isn't there in Buffalo anymore. Now James Cook is going to do his thing. We brought it back to James Cook already. But <laughs> let's put Jonathan Taylor's contract situation aside for a second, right? Like let's let's just look at his football situation. He hasn't been a target earner, right, since joining the NFL. Of course, he had a like a very good receiving back with him. But even when he was running routes, he wasn't necessarily getting the targets, right? And last year, even after Hines got traded, you know, his his route participation did increase, but only 13% targets per route run last year. And now he has a mobile quarterback 
who in this instance, it might be fair to say that he'll be less likely to check it down to Taylor than the pocket quarterbacks he's had before, potentially. There could be some vulturing goal line touchdowns here on an offense that might not score a whole lot of touchdowns this year, right? So do you look at the dynamic nature uh, of this talented rushing quarterback running back duo and like the open lanes that might be there for Jonathan Taylor that probably will be there for Jonathan Taylor? How do you break down Taylor in this offense and, and what makes you still feel comfortable with him as a top 10 fantasy running back? Yeah. So with Taylor, like you brought up a, a lot of really good points, like a big thing with him is just, he is an elite talent as far as a yeah. runner, right? He's, he's, in that level with Nick Chubb, we have yep. a few guys in the league. Derek Henry's trying to hang on, like to being in that group, but it's a very, very small group of players that that play the position from a running standpoint, as well as Jonathan Taylor, Nick Chubb, Derek Henry. Right? There are other guys that give us that dual threat ability where they're better, like as an all round back. And so, I do think having Anthony Richardson hurts him in the passing game, but he wasn't over-reliant on that anyway. So I don't know how much that's really going to hurt. You mentioned his 13% targets per route run. The plus is last year he had a 65% route participation. And, you know, this gets rid of the games, you know, they didn't play, but that was elite, right? So he's at least out there. And that's what I think will happen to Nick Chubb this year. He's going to be more like that, 60, 65%. It's not going to mean 50 more targets. It might mean 15, right? It might mean right. 20. But you know, running back catch rates are really high, like 75, 80%, right? They catch those balls because it's typically underneath the coverage. So if you can pick up 10 to 15 free receptions, like it's fine. Now, having said that, we have Anthony Richardson. He's going to be probably even less likely. I projected uh, Jonathan Taylor, even though he was really low in targets per route run for even less this year, because okay. he's not a down the field target. He is truly a swing guy. He is, everyone's covered. Hey, I'm over here. Throw it to me. If you're Gardner Minshew, that makes sense. If you're Anthony Richardson, you're, you're probably not doing it, right? You're just going right. to go like, you're just going to house it like Justin Fields would do last year on those scramble plays for like 70 yards for touchdowns. Like that's what <laughs> Anthony Richardson is going to go try to do. So I think yeah. it does hurt him there. But here's the thing I really like about Taylor it's going to be a run first offense. I do think this will be one of those teams that, regardless of how the game is going, they're going to try to protect Anthony Richardson. They're going to try to win through efficiency through the air, and they're going to put everything through Richardson and Taylor on the ground. It won't surprise me if this is every year we get maybe a team that does this that actually runs the ball more than they throw it. And I don't just mean attempts. I mean drop back rate. Like their drop right. back rate might be lower than their rush attempt rate. I expect the efficiency to be there. Taylor's already a hyper-efficient player. Last year he was hurt, right? So it wasn't quite as good. He was still better than a lot of backs. But it won't surprise me if Jonathan Taylor averages six yards per carry this year. <laughs> right, um, right. I was out on him earlier in the offseason because he was going like at the beginning of round two. And right. these factors were enough to be like, well, I think I like Nick Chubb more. Well, I think I like Tony Pollard more. But now, because of you know the fact that you know he's not off the pup yet, right? He's leaving the team for, you know, you know, these absences that he's had. Right. We know there's really a contract squabble that's going on. Both sides seem to be kind of, well, the Colts are for sure playing hardball. He's falling. So now, Jonathan Taylor, like I've been getting him in the middle of round three. I got him in the end of round three the other day. And at that point, I can't ignore him. I do still think RB1 overall is in his range of outcomes. He's just too good of a player to ignore it. And, and the way he would get there would be the, the way you open the show. 
He's in a run-heavy team where there's no other running back. Yes, Anthony Richardson's going to get his, but he still gets to 65. Jonathan Taylor still has a real shot to be at 65 to 70% of the carries. People will point to J.K. Dobbins and these other guys are like, look, these guys that play you know, with Lamar Jackson, et cetera, et cetera, while they're efficient, it doesn't usually work out, right? They can't overcome it enough to where that un- the efficiency and all those things don't unlock RB1 overall seasons. But the other part is those guys continue to share with another back, right? They got 25% going to Gus Edwards, right? Then you got Justice Hill for whatever freaking reasons got to be on the field for like another 10 to 15%. Then you got to sure. share with Lamar Jackson. When I look at the Colts and I look at this depth chart, I can literally see it being like 90% of the rushing attempts could go through Anthony Richardson and Jonathan Taylor, right? And then you got like 10% going to someone else, maybe 15%. So that's his path. It's a Derrick Henry path. The way you started the show, it's it's a big volume and a heavy run game. May only catch 40 balls, maybe 30. Might catch 30 balls this season and still has a chance to be the RB1 overall because of how many rushing attempts he gets. Okay. Okay. And, and and when you look at, you know, we mentioned a couple of these guys that where talent just straight up wins out, right? In these type of situations, sometimes when you're getting a heavy workload, what are those metrics that you look for in a running back, you know, when you want to determine if this running back is actually a good running back, right? Regardless of the opportunity, opportunity that they get, are you looking at yards after contact? Are you looking at missed tackles force? What are those metrics that you're looking at to say like, okay, this running back is a really damn good running back based on what he did uh, in whatever sort of sample size you're looking at. Yeah, and what we're really trying to do, because yards per carry is not very sticky year over year, you're trying to find data points that have greater year over year uh, reliability and that we believe the running back owns this stat, right? Um, the offense It's always hard with running back because the offensive line is always a factor, right? Offensive line is a factor in explosive rush rate. But what I've generally found is the really good running backs find a way, right? They'll still get to that 11, 12%. If they've got a great offensive line, like they'll pop off 18% of their 16, 17% of their carries for 10 plus yards. So that's a big one. I want that explosive play rate. That's the 10 plus yards carries divided by their total rushing attempts. Um, for For a running back one, you typically see that around 11 to 12% based on the last 10 years of data. And then it slowly tears down as you go down to like tier three. But you get to look at a guy like Zeke. I'm not worried about Zeke with Ramondre. Why? 7% explosive rush rate last year. Like Zeke has shown for the last several years, like he doesn't deserve a bunch of extra touches, right? So Ramondre is going to lose a few touchdowns to him, but I'm not that worried about Zeke suddenly getting half the workload. Um, the next thing that I look at, I do look at PFF rushing grade, like um, because the whole job of that, when a PFF grader and not that everything can be perfect all the time, they're trying to isolate and tease out the player, right, from all their teammates. Did the player make the right decision? Did the player, were they additive to the play? Right. And so that's really big for running backs because um, I don't have time to watch every snap of every game and chart everything. I know some right. people like want to blow PFF up over that stuff. And I'm always like, well, great. Start a charting company and like tell me <laughs> because like they're and they're like, well, you know, PFS doesn't know what they're doing. Where do you guys think that PFF gets the ideas for how they grade these players and what they're looking for? They get it from the NFL. They get it. They they talk to these coaches. They talk to these scouts. They hire them. They hire these people to run their back-end process on how they're evaluating players. They don't just pull this stuff out of the air, right? They didn't just decide, oh, one day we're going to show up and say, this is what a good run looks like, and this is a bad run, just because like 
we just decided. No, there's a process they go through for this. So it may not always be perfect. You have different people grading different games. So there's always some room there, but it amazes me like how many people dismiss it. Um, and that's someone like, I don't work for PFF anymore. And if, if it didn't correlate and it didn't actually tie to fantasy points in any way, like I would just jettison, like I would be like, ah, you don't need to worry about it. But that wasn't the case for me. Um, and then you already hit on the other things. Oh, well, missed tackles force per attempt is another one. It's not as huge as far as correlating to fantasy points, but it is a good indicator. We will see running backs that are starting to deteriorate that that's some, a signal that we can start to look for, right? Is that going down for them? So for like Dalvin cook, that hasn't gone down. I think he's a bigger problem for Brees Hall than Ezekiel Elliott is for Ramondre Stevenson because of those reasons. And then we already covered the, the receiving stuff. I look at PFF receiving grade. I look at their targets per route run. I look at their route participation. Have coaches trusted them? Do they want them on the field in passing situations? And there are different varieties of that. But like the biggest one is the two-minute offense. If the coaches want a player out there in the two-minute offense, that's their favorite receiving back on the team, right? right. And so – that's a good leading indicator for these running backs as well. So those are all the things. And, and I mentioned a dot earlier, a dot really more comes into, if I see a guy that had like a 27% targets per route run, like Ramondre is a good example. Last year, Ramondre was not really a plus a dot guy. Mm-hmm. He's at risk. If the Patriots add multiple good weapons that could hurt Ramondre in the receiving game. Now, good news for everyone. Well, I guess if you're a Ramondre person, it's good news. If you're a Patriots fan, maybe not so much. They didn't add anyone. <laughs> like there's no one, like there's no one that were like, oh my God, look what they added Mike Gasecki. Like, okay, great. Like they added Juju Smith Schuster, who eh, has not been good for multiple years. So Ramondre is probably really safe this year. But if they had Justin Jefferson on their team, right? right. And they had C D Lamb, like if they had like uh Jamar Chase and T. Higgins, like there would be risk there for Ramondre because a dot really does help you predict when players can be stickier over year. Cause that keeps them integrated into the passing game in a way that they can continue to earn those targets. Yeah. And you mentioned the uh, two minute offense versus the, you know, third and longs and that sort of thing. And it just makes me think of the uh, Najee Harris, Jalen Warren situation where Jalen Warren was yes. their passing down back, but then they bring on Najee in the two minute situations. Right. So yep. I'm really curious to see what that backfield is going to turn into, but, uh, that 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 that's a side point now, and and I think you know for those wondering why yards after con- yards yards per carry might not be a whole uh, a big thing. It's like you mentioned that it's not as sticky year over year, but I, I would say that you know I think that's you know obviously a more of a combination of like the running back, the the offensive line, yes. the scheme. Um, now, if you look at you know a running back who's going into the same exact situation as the year before, same coaches, same scheme you know, maybe an upgrade offensive line, like it could be a data point that you look at and say like, oh, well, you know, like look at what he did with this inferior offensive line in the same exact scheme with the same coaches. You know, you could say that that player, like look at Khalil Herbert, who had a very high yard per carry last year. That zone scheme is relatively the same. Offensive line might have even improved. And now he's, you know, probably, I would say definitely going to be part of whatever sort of committee they end up having. Uh, And I think that is a little bit of a useful piece of information you know, just knowing well, and you that you can, can use drive in that scheme. Yeah. You can use those other components, right? The explosive rush rate yards after contact, missed tackles forced as a way. Cause like naturally I regress players for yards, uh, per carry, right? Just cause historically it just shows like that you do that, but I get to players like Nick Chubb. I can't give him 4.3 yards per carry. I can't like, <laughs> right, I have right. to give him closer right. to five one. He's done it almost every year in his career. And then I look at these underlying data points and I say, no, Nick Chubb's really good on his own. So I'm fine giving him this yards per carry. 
So like 70, 80% of the backs, basically I'm regressing to the league average or up to the league average, right? Guys that have not been as good. But if I get a player that like they've had multiple years where they're still really good in all these underlying metrics, then I don't feel bad about giving them, you know, not regressing them to the league average. I actually might give them their three-year average. There's different factors and like it's like almost like this little Venn diagram with like the way that the model works. But essentially, in a nutshell, it's like, Nick Chubb had five yards per carry last year. He checks all three of these boxes. Fine. Give him five yards per carry. Right. Or we might take it to 4.8. Whereas right. if someone else is like, oh man, 4.7 yards per carry. They didn't check any of these boxes. 4.3 yards per carry. Like that's what you're getting in the model. So it's, it's a, uh, you use them, you use them together. Right. Is the way I think. Right. 2400 sports is an odyssey company. 